It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Francesca Manny didn't understand why the boys at her New Jersey school seemed to know something she didn't. No girl knew what was happening, but we knew the boys knew something. And I was called down to the principal's office to be confirmed as one of many students of the AI incident. And I'm not going to lie, after I left the office, I was crying. Francesca was in grade 10 when AI-generated nude images of her spread throughout her school this past fall. At first, she was upset. But then she got angry. While I was walking the hallways, I saw a group of boys laughing at a group of girls who were crying. And that's when I realized I shouldn't be sad, but I should be mad. This is not fair to the girls, and this is not okay. A male student was suspended following the release of the nude images. There was a similar situation with teenagers in a Winnipeg school last year. Police are investigating in that case. Making these realistic-looking images of real people is becoming much easier thanks to artificial intelligence, and it's not just happening to students. This weekend, fake AI-generated images of Taylor Swift took over the social media platform X, Caitlin Mendez is an associate professor of sociology at Western University in London, Ontario. She holds the Canada Research Chair in Inequality and Gender. Caitlin, good morning. Good morning. When you heard, this is a story that got a lot of attention for obvious reasons, but when you heard this story of Taylor Swift images being shared online this past weekend, um, what went through your mind? Well, the first thing I thought was I'm not at all surprised. Um, I've been following these kinds of cases with um, young people in schools. Taylor Swift also isn't the first celebrity that this has happened to. You know, what's really interesting about Taylor Swift is that she has such a tremendous fan base that that kind of helps in generating momentum. Mm. Taylor Swift herself is so powerful. So in a sense, I think they really picked the wrong person if they were really hoping to keep these sorts of practices under the radar. Can you explain just for people who don't know, like, what are we talking about here? When I say AI-generated fake images of people. How sophisticated are these images? Really sophisticated, and they're getting better all the time. I, I mean, I remember when I first saw the first um, AI-generated videos of, like, Barack Obama several years ago. It was pretty good, but nowadays the technology is so much more sophisticated. So really all that people need is a few images of you, and they use just AI software And it's really easy to do. And, you know, you can superimpose someone else's face on other people's bodies, have them say, um, you know, kind of whatever you want them to say. And again, these videos and these images, is they're just really good. They're really high quality. And they're often very, very difficult to to tell that they're fake. People call them deep fakes. Um, That's right. You use a different terminology to describe this. You you call this technology-facilitated sexual violence. What does that mean? Yeah. So when we talk about this, we're basically talking about the ways that technology is increasingly used to facilitate different forms of sexual violence. And so I would argue that these deep fakes are not just something like cyberbullying. They're not a joke. That these are actually a form of this new wave of sexual violence that's facilitated by technologies. Explain what that means, because you could imagine, I mean, maybe it's those students that were laughing uh, at Francesca in, in the hallway, that there are people who might think, well, this is just a joke. 
Exactly. And I think that that's part of why we're really pushing for this new terminology is to get people to understand that this isn't a joke, that this is really serious, that it often has really kind of harmful consequences for the victims, like shame, embarrassment. We've seen some really tragic cases over the years in Canada and other countries as well, where people who have had nude images released without their consent, shared without their consent, self-harm, die by suicide. And, you know, luckily to date, I don't know of any cases with deep fake leading to that. But nevertheless, it's incredibly embarrassing and harmful to have people thinking of you in this way, people seeing these images or videos of you and not knowing whether they're real or not. And even the fact that people would just take them and continue to share them instead of standing up and saying, actually, this isn't okay. We should stop this. We should report it. You see an equivalency between these fake images and real images, real intimate images that, that would be shared without somebody's consent. I think because the images are so realistic looking, Mm. it can be really difficult for people to spot the difference. So again, when you see these images, you know, it's really hard to tell whether they're real or not. And again, the feelings that you have of shame, of violation, of embarrassment, I think are really real. And again, you know, we can see in, in that introductory clip, you know, the boys at the school were laughing. They were making fun of it. But they, they seemed to know something that she didn't. That's right. So they were laughing this inside joke. They'd seen something. And again, whether they knew it was real or whether they didn't know it was real, whether they just thought it was a funny joke, nevertheless, the joke's on her. You co-wrote a report that looks into how schools are dealing with this. What did you find? Well, we found that schools really aren't addressing a lot of the changing ways that technology is being used to facilitate sexual violence. You know, in part, it's not the school's fault. Curriculum is often updated, say, every 10 years. And if we think of all that's changed over the past 10 years, it's really of no surprise that schools aren't doing enough to talk about it. So we argue that schools need to start moving towards this language of tech-facilitated sexual violence. Yet let's have specific terms like deep fakes. Let's talk about cyber flashing for getting non-consensual intimate images. Let's talk about the ways that sending images without consent is illegal. And in fact, there's a a number of laws in Canada that say that it's illegal. So we need to start really making sure that young people understand the, you know, these kind of modern forms of harm, but also where they can go for support, what they can do if it happens to them, um, and understand relevant laws and kind of tech solutions as well. It's interesting because I know that there are parts of the curriculum that address issues of, of some issues of cyberbullying, some issues of consent, for example, that what you take and what you share immediately is is out of your hands once somebody else has it in their hands. But you're saying that those lessons need to go further than that, particularly when it comes to things like AI. A hundred percent. And again, you know, the curriculum talks about cyberbullying, but they were talking about things like maybe name calling. Mm. And clearly we can see that, you know, deliberately generating fake porn of someone is not the same as calling someone a mean name. What do you think, I ask this as a parent, that we don't understand about the lives of our kids online. Because one of the things that can happen is if this were to unfold, you could imagine there are some parents who the issues of stigma and blame would perhaps, you know, focus their attention on the young people in their lives and what they did. 
That's right. And so one of the things that we also argue is that we we need to definitely try to move away from this kind of like blaming messages and also messages, things like don't put pictures of yourself out there. That, that's what young people do. They take images of themselves. I'm not talking about sexualized images necessarily, yeah. but images of themselves. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of parents don't understand the, the important role that social media, that digital technologies play in young people's lives. So I think it's important for parents to try to talk to young people about what they're doing online. What do they like about these platforms? You know, why are they using them? How are they using them? What are the things they like? And what are the things that are bothering them or upsetting them or that they find maybe a bit weird or strange? What are you most concerned about here? We started, and you mentioned, you know, the issues of politics. And that's one thing that people are focused on. It's election year in many places. And people are worried about, you know, these sort of deep fakes um, appearing to, you know, that could help influence people's votes, for example. If we talk about people's intimate lives and the lives of students in particular um, and images that aren't of them, but that look like them being shared online. What are you worried about um, if this isn't dealt with at the school level? Well, again, we know that there have been some really terrible consequences for young people who have had intimate images circulated without their consent. Um, again, not necessarily deep fakes, but again, I think that the consequences for having these deep fake images created about you are very similar to if they were real images. And so I'm actually terribly worried about young people's mental health. I'm worried about their well-being. I'm also worried that we seem to be living in a culture where when you see these images, whether they're real or generated by AI, people think it's okay to just share them. And again, we need to create these communities where we all feel as though we have a responsibility to shut this down, to say this isn't funny, this isn't a joke. We have a collective responsibility to make sure that people's privacy and their dignity is respected. We're going to talk more in just a moment about the legal ramifications here, but just very briefly, is that horse out of the barn? If you can put it that way, I mean, it, this technology is so widespread already. It feels like the early days of it, but it's everywhere. Is, is it too late to stop this? Yes, 100%. It, it's definitely too late to stop the technology. So I think what we really need to put our focus on is how can we make sure that we're all good digital citizens? Mm. So again, you know, if you see any of these images circulating, at the very least, don't share it. Don't like it. Don't give it more visibility. And I think we also need to be asking serious questions of social media mm. platforms and the government. You know, what is their role going to be in making sure that this content isn't allowed to circulate? All right, we're going to get into that next. Caitlin, thank you very much. Thank you. Caitlin Mendez is a sociologist and associate professor at Western University, holds the Canada Research Chair in Inequality and Gender. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Kristen Thomason is a law professor at the University of British Columbia who specializes in privacy law and artificial intelligence. Kristen, hello to you. Hi. Let's start with this Taylor Swift story first and the images of her uh, fake images that were circulating on X, formerly known as Twitter. How was that handled, as you understand it, by the social media platform? 
Um, well, by the social media platform, um, there were a couple of issues that I think are really emblematic of some of the challenges that we're facing right now um, with this kind of distribution of intimate images, whether they're altered or not. Um, and the first is the lack of content moderation up front. So the image was circulating. It was viewed millions upon millions of times, but the image remained on the website for 17 or so hours um, before the site took action against it. And that really... Um, I think reflects uh, some of the issues and challenges with the responsibility of the sites that make distribution so easy. Um, and then a fairly draconian countermeasure was taken, which was to just shut down searches of Taylor Swift altogether, which mm. has now been lifted. But, um, you know, one of the many sort of collective harms and impacts of this kind of use of technology is the silencing impact that it can have on people. Um, you know, uh, this was mentioned in the previous conversation, but like concerns around, you know, sharing your images online, we should really be working to avoid that, um, that kind of negative impact, I mean. And for X to just completely shut down searches, like, you know, of course, Taylor Swift is is going, her career is going to not be seriously impacted by not being searched on Twitter for 24 hours, but it is a silencing impact where it's just like, we'll just, we'll just remove this person from the conversation. Who's accountable legally when it comes to the creation and distribution of AI generated images like these? Is it the people who create the images or is it the platform that allows for the distribution of them? Right now, that's a complex question. Um, my lawyer's answer would be it depends, but um, the law a lot of laws that would be sort of, to my mind, like as a legal academic, would be the logical um, route to follow in thinking about where would legal accountability arise were developed before deep peak technology and uh, certainly before AI image generators were really uh, a major consideration. So a lot of laws like privacy laws get at the dignitary autonomy, control over one's image kind of harm that is exhibited here. But they're not, many are not explicitly addressing altered or synthetic images. Mm. So it'll be for courts and maybe legislatures to step in and make that very clear that they do apply. That said, there is, um, there are a couple of laws in Canada, in British Columbia, one just uh, came into effect yesterday that specifically include altered images in the scope of images that fall within, um, uh, you know, accountability laws, uh, compensation laws for uh, the distribution of intimate images, the non-consensual distribution. As far as platforms are concerned, that could fall within negligence law. I, you know, I think it ought to fall within negligence law, but we don't have clarity on that. And to get that kind of clarity without some kind of statute being passed by a legislature could take many, many years. I ask in part because of that case of, of the Winnipeg school, where the school mm -hmm. has said that the original photos seem to have been taken down from social media, but then altered using AI. And I just wonder what, if, if you are the girls who are the subject of, of that case. I mean, what, what legal options would they have there? Mm -hmm. So privacy law depends. It, it varies province to province. So it would depend on, you know, how the privacy laws have been developed and interpreted in Manitoba. I've studied our privacy torts in Canada very closely. And I would say, actually, there's not a lot of um, development and clarity around exactly how they apply in these kinds of situations. 
So again, uh, you know, it leaves you with a little bit of a sense of, you know, maybe there are laws that ought to apply here and they might be interpreted to apply that way, but it's not clear. There are also provisions in the criminal code. So there are criminal laws that criminalize the non-consensual distribution, again, of intimate images, but don't necessarily clearly apply to synthetic images. So at, at this time, you know, barring a couple of examples, the law is an uncertain uh, response or mechanism. And that's something that, you know, it would be really helpful to get greater legal clarity around that. What more needs to be done to protect Canadians? This moves very, very quickly. Um, and, and as you said, that you can talk about the Taylor Swift story in part because celebrity gets a lot of attention and that might mm. add some urgency to this. But f- for the average Canadian, what has to be done to ensure that something like this isn't happening to them? Yeah, it was said previously that this has, you know, existed for some time. But of course, you do get that momentum when there's so much attention from a story like this. And this story also really, I think, um, exemplified the range of different issues that come up with the creation as well as the distribution of these kinds of images. So, I mean, there's a host of things that could be done. My expertise obviously is in the law, um, you know, getting greater clarity on, on how privacy laws and other laws that might come into effect here apply to synthetic images would, of course, be very um, useful to make guidance clear for, for people who are affected by this. The BC law that just came into effect yesterday also has a really important component, which is it creates a streamlined process for getting the images removed from the internet. That, of course, also relies on, you know, social media companies doing their part, but there are financial penalties if they don't. So I think having more structures like that across the provinces, because that falls in usually in provincial jurisdiction, would be incredibly helpful. So people know, like, the first thing I can do is get this image off the internet, and then we'll deal with everything else. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, the, the federal government, for example, has sort of um, teased an online safety act for a long time. One component, one important component of which would be really making it clear what the obligations are on social media companies when it comes to harmful content. I would, uh, you know, I'm cautious around how safety can and has been used in the past to enact some pretty draconian measures. So there's a lot to debate in a bill like that, but seeing more movement from the federal government could be very helpful in thinking about the social media companies, the AI image generator companies role in all of this. Just in the last minute or so that we have, um, how urgently do those changes need to be implemented? Given we talk a lot about AI on this program, it seems like every time we talk about it, we're already out of date because it's moved so quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time coming. We do need some greater legal structure around this. Absolutely. Um, you know, especially with that act that's sort of been teased for a very long time. Um, the federal government right now is also, uh, uh, there's an act under study, a proposed act under study that would deal with AI um, created and used by commercial actors and so set some other structures in place as well. But you're absolutely right that, you know, the technology keeps barreling ahead and the law um, sometimes is created in ways that becomes very quickly outdated. Like even some of these privacy laws that now don't explicitly at- touch on synthetic images. Um, personally, like having studied AI and robotics and the law for a while, yeah. I think the biggest focus needs to be on making it really clear what our rights are um, our fundamental rights and and how we 
get as as much of a streamlined, quick remedy as possible. Um, and I think the BC legislation that I mentioned is is a really good example of that. Um, so that we can continue to protect those fundamental rights, even as the technology changes. Because like my view is these kinds of synthetic images, they're harming, they're, mm. they're causing the kind of harm that's been caused by other kinds of images in the past and continue to be caused by those. Um, so the technology can change, but the harm is, is still there. Right. And as long as the law can, can remedy that harm, um, we have a better chance of dealing with it. Kristen, really glad to talk to you about this. Thank you. Thank you. Kristen Thomason is a law professor at the University of British Columbia. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.